Our message this morning is based on a text in Genesis chapter 3, but we're actually going to start just a little bit before that in Genesis chapter 2. I've got a couple of verses that I'm uh, taking from that chapter as well, just so you kind of understand where we're coming from. And um, I'm not going to ask you, just like I did last week, this is a pretty long chapter I'm going to read. I'm not going to ask you to stand for it this morning, but I would ask that you make sure that you have your little paper because right after the, the scripture reading, we're going, to, um, we're going to work on our scripture that we're memorizing, Romans 12.2, and kind of our collective statement on what our study is about right now. So Genesis chapter 2 should be pretty easy to find in your Bible. It's uh, about page 2 or 3, somewhere in there. So not too far in. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, 15 through 17, and then Genesis chapter 3. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. and He will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you would stand. We continue today our study in becoming Christ-like. And our key verse is Romans 12.2. We're going to recite it together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then the phrase underneath it, which is our key phrase for our series, we become Christ-like when we live in our actions what we believe in our hearts. Let's pray together. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Articulate your heart through my voice to your people. Helping us every day and in every way to learn to be like Christ by the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we learned that we are all created in God's image. That we are made to perfectly reflect God in everything we do. This is called the Imago Dei. We have a purpose. We were created on purpose. And we learned that along with everything else God created, we were created and it was good. This week... Kind of a little bit of a bummer. We're going to talk about what happened and how we messed everything up. But we have to start in the garden. We have to start where it all began. We have to understand what it was exactly that we lost in order to understand why it matters so much that the fall happened. And so we start in the garden. The garden 
was a beautiful place. The Garden of Eden was designed to be the one place where everything would be whole and good and beautiful. A friend of mine, Michael Palmer, describes it this way. God created the world to be whole, and the Hebrew word used here is shalom. A world experiencing shalom is a world that is full and at peace, living in collective harmony. He says, Dr. Keller describes it this way. If I threw a thousand threads onto the table, they wouldn't be a fabric. They'd just be threads laying on top of each other. Threads become a fabric when each one has been woven over, under, around, and through every other one. The more interdependent they are, the more beautiful they are. The more interwoven they are, the stronger and warmer they are. God made the world with billions of entities, but he didn't make them to be an aggregation. Rather, he made them to be in a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship with each other. Yes, at the beginning of all things, it was good because we all lived in wholeness and interconnectedness together. There was no us versus them. It was only us. Everything in its proper place, bringing the warmth of the Trinity to bear on creation. We were stronger because of our interconnectedness. Divine shalom existed in the midst of our community. And there's a warmth to those early moments. God had woven a beautiful tapestry, and it was very good. I like that Palmer said all that because it, he sent it to me thinking that I would help him edit it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to just use that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And because it fits so perfectly what, we, what we've been talking about. Basically, what he's saying is the garden was beautiful and everything was working the way it was designed to work. I want you to imagine this as a movie. We open on a beautiful, happy couple, skipping through a lovely garden. Sometimes they're weeding. Sometimes they're planting. The sun is shining. There are fruits and vegetables everywhere. The birds are not only chirping as they flutter through the trees, but they're dancing around and landing on the shoulders of Adam and Eve, and then they're flitting back up, and it's kind of a bird game they're playing. The music is light and airy. There are cougars and hippos walking around, giraffes. Everything is in harmony. There's no sign of anything bad at all. There's a montage of daily life that includes Adam and Eve sitting down and talking to God, visiting with him, just experiencing his presence in the cool of the day. They laugh. They celebrate. They enjoy each other's company. They are good together. And then the music changes.
Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. And a voice, a pleasant one, I'm sure, asks about their life, but in a very different way. Then, spoiler alert, everything changes. The temptation of all of us to look at this and blame Eve or Adam or even the serpent for the mess that happens next is the same temptation that was over Adam and Eve at the moment when God called them out on it. But the reality is we all have the free will that Eve or Adam did, and we all make the same choice. We all hear, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This voice that twists the truth, that takes the freedom that God had given Adam and Eve, the beautiful balance that was there, and turning it into a battle over who is in control. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In other words, did God keep you from everything? And what Adam and Eve realize is that while they have access to everything else, there's something that's fencing them in. There's a restriction in place for them. Have you ever been around a two or three year old, really anyone, and you've said to them, don't touch this thing, whatever it is. Maybe it's uh, a toy that you've fixed for them if it's a little one, or maybe it's a rack of cookies that are cooling on, a, uh, on the counter. And you're like, don't touch this. What is the first thing that those people do, right? And that's exactly what Adam and Eve have done. Except at first, they didn't even quite realize that there was this restriction on them because they had freedom to do everything else. It wasn't until this serpent points out to them that there's something missing that they start to think it through. And what the serpent does is the worst thing of all because he gets them to think that God is somehow lying to them, that God is not being truthful, that God is not trustworthy. He tells them that God's warning is ridiculous and is, in fact, a way to keep them from becoming God themselves. Remember last week when we said that the art can never become the artist? Well, the liar here does a pretty good job of convincing Adam and Eve otherwise. Making them think that somehow they can become God. God, the serpent says, is keeping you from something wonderful. And that lie is the lie that we live with today. 
Because in our desire to become God, we make everything else God in our lives except God. We take our desire for God and turn it into a desire to be God. And in that moment, we give up the beauty of who we are called to be and trade it for the broken hurt of sin. It's the first time I've said that word, sin, in this message. Sin is a hard word. We don't like to talk about sin because sin is someone telling us that all the really cool things we want to do, we aren't allowed to do. I follow a writer on Facebook. He's written some kind of funny books. Um, he has one called uh, My Imaginary Jesus that's really, um, really, really good. And from time to time, he posts cute things that his daughter says on Facebook. And this week, he told this story. He said he picked her up from Awanas, which is a Bible club that some churches have. And his daughter, her name is Micah, he asked her, well, what, what happened tonight? She said, tonight we talked about Satan and the tree in the garden. Matt said, oh yeah, and what did you learn? Micah thinks about it. Hmm. Sometimes it's good to sin. Oh, he says. Micah says, because if you sin, you meet more people and you get to do some different things so you're not bored all the time. He says, uh, uh, otherwise we'd still be stuck back in that garden. And that's the truth, right? We're, we've all been where Micah is. We think that somehow not sinning leaves us as stuck in some place or something that would make us less than what we want to be, that gives us less opportunity. But the reality is we've all believed the lie from the garden. The one the serpent told is the lie we still hear. You will not certainly die. God knows that when you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. But we do die. We die little deaths of self-worth and shame every day. Shame was born in that garden that day. When the juice dripped from Adam's chin. We traded shameless, fearless love and joy for shame-filled, fearful sex and entertainment. We had everything. Everything. And we lost it all. Because we couldn't resist the opportunity to try to be God of ourselves. The rest of this story sounds so sad today. 
Adam and Eve's choice means they're wrapped in guilt and heartache. They had never known those things before. They hide from the God they previously loved to spend time with. Not because he won't allow them to spend time with them, but because they cannot stand the idea of being exposed in his presence. Where they had been able to walk with God and talk with God, they're now leaving the garden forever. Everything's not hopeless yet. Notice some things about the end of this story. God came looking for them. We know that God knew exactly what had transpired that day. We know that God knew all that this would mean for them and us. And yet, God didn't just immediately abandon them. He didn't leave them alone. He came to them. God provided for them. They were in this sudden place of shame that they had never known before, and God gave them clothes. He recognized that they had some bad things happening, but he provided for them even though they had disobeyed him. He did make them leave the garden and he warned them of some significant changes that were going to take place for them because they had broken the perfect goodness, the shalom of the garden. But he also made it clear that he had a plan of redemption a way back. He had an idea for how he was going to fix this. And that promise that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden, that promise is what puts us here today rather than somewhere else out there. The redemption God promised, we have that available to us. It is why we typically celebrate communion at the end of every service. Today, I want us to remember what it must have felt like to leave the garden. To not know what was going to happen, how they were going to be restored. So today, we will not celebrate communion. Instead, we have an empty cup and an empty plate to remind us that when you walk out of the garden, the only hope you have is in the promised king, the promised Jesus who is yet coming. We are remembering today the desperate and corrupt and horrible moment when the communion of God and man, the perfect shalom, the imago day of the garden was broken. And we remember it not because we want to stay there, but because we want to go back to where we belong. 
where God calls us to be today, where he has made it possible for us to be. And we can only do that through Christ. We will absolutely resume receiving communion next week. I promise you that. Because we can. Because God has made it possible for us. But today, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to remind you that it is as we become more like Jesus that we see glimpses of the garden, of the wholeness we had, the wholeness we need, the wholeness we threw away in the here and now. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You are dismissed.